Well, hey friends, welcome back to the Virtually Agile podcast. Today, I am joined by an absolute badass, the badassiest of badass Agile coaches. We're going to talk about showing your value as an Agile coach, what it takes to be a badass coach and what's next for Agile. Do the thing and subscribe or follow to get these episodes immediately. Let's go. Today, I'm joined by the most badass Agile coach there ever did exist. You found your way once more to the Virtually Agile podcast with Chris Stone, the continuous improvement coach. And my guest today barely needs an introduction. He's an author, a trainer, a conference host, a speaker, so much more. Welcome to the show, Bob. How goes it? It goes well, Chris. I am really excited to be here with you. And I'm looking forward to the, wherever the conversation goes. So thank you for inviting me and thinking of me. I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. Well, it was always going to happen. It was about time we got you on the show. We've been talking about it for a while. And let's, let's kick things off then. So, Bob, what makes a badass Agile coach to you? Oh, my gosh. Good question. As I'm buying time to think about what am I, <laughs> how am I going to respond? Excellent question. And wonderful beard, Chris. I enjoy it very well. Yes, nicely done. Freshly come so, back from the barber today. So it's, it's, it's nicely shorn. I think, I think two things come to mind, and I would answer this differently today, later on, and tomorrow, probably slightly differently, but I think of two things off the top of my head uh, that's running around my brain lately. One is well-roundedness, the notion of being a well-rounded coach, so not being a, a singular tool coach or a singular stance coach would be part of badassery, and, and you don't have to be perfectly well-rounded. You can have you can have sort of peaks and valleys in your tire. That's fine, but well-rounded. The other thing I think for badassery is, and, and I'm, I'm referencing the Agile Coaching Growth Wheel, which is a, a model, I think in terms of self-mastery or the hub of the wheel. And I think a badass coach realizes that it's an inside-out job. Just like I, I think a badass Agile leader should realize that it's an inside-out job. Like you lead yourself before you lead others. You walk your talk as a coach from the inside out before you start telling, before you start coaching other people. So I think, I think, I think of those two things, well-roundedness from a stances, from a domain, from an expertise, from a skill perspective or a competency perspective, and then starting from the inside out. And, and to the degree that you're doing that, I think you're, you're on that bit, not that don't get triggered on the word, but I think you're on this badass journey to becoming, you know, a solid coach. Uh, the, the overarching thing for that too would maybe be self-awareness, which is part of self-mastery, which is, are you aware that you have gaps? Like, are you aware that you're a singular focused coach and that you need to grow? Uh, I find that there's a lot of hubris in the coaching community, Chris. Uh, a lot of folks who, you know, I have the three, I have 22 letters after my name. So, so there, therefore I am a badass coach because of, in fact, maybe you could even spell badass in, in the letters and therefore I am a badass coach. Oh, you, you've got me wondering now how I could combine all the agile certs out there to try and exactly. spell badass and work out which ones combine to make the badass coach. Exactly. And, and to be honest as well, there's, there's, I love what you just said there. Badassery, first of all. That's a, a not a word that's not used often enough. I want that to enter the vocabulary in business more. We should be more badass. We should demonstrate more badassery. And by 
starting with ourselves, you know, being willing and able to turn that mirror inwardly and reflect on our own mastery and recognizing that by developing ourselves, we are better prepared, better equipped, better able to support others in their own journey will be a more rounded coach. Now, Bob, you'll be very pleased because I know you asked me a while ago now. You said, hey, have you considered looking at the, the agile coaching wheel and starting to add some you know, materials to it? And I started that, that, that effort with Fred Deichler recently, and we began with self-mastery. So we've, we've started mapping some of the, the books to emotional intelligence, to, to balance. And, oh, you're warming uh, my heart, Chris. I know, and to personal transformation oh. as well. It's a, it's a work in progress, but expect something on that soon. And again, the intent behind that is to help people with their own journey towards self-mastering and showing them that's, what resources are available yeah. to them to get them going. That's very cool. Ah, that warm, that absolutely warms my heart. The, the other thing about self-mastery that I'm learning as I, as I go along, it's always been there. It's probably the deepest and the richest of all of the competencies. So it's, it's in the center of the wheel. Again, he's just using the metaphor, but I think it's really healthy. So every coaching competency connects to self-mastery. And what I'm finding is that there's self-mastery for agile coaching. But then if you look at, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in the facilitation competency. There's aspects of self-mastery that are more important if you're in the facilitation stance. So you can almost expand it like as a general competency, but also there's, there's specifics to each one of them. So it's very deep. I'm, I'm, it's a rich place to, again, inside ourselves, it's a rich place to develop ourselves. Back to that point of like badassery is not, it's a journey. It's not a, I, I will never be fully badassed. So myself, I'm on the journey, journey to badassery because it's such, that's what I love about agile coaching or a lot of our space is if you have this learning or this growth curiosity mindset, you're never done. There's always something to explore, which is kind of cool to me. And I, to that end, I'm a fan of the, the Socrates quotes, true wisdom is the knowledge that you know nothing. The more I learn, the more I realize that I don't know and what I don't know. And I think a lot of people go through that, you know, that, that journey where they, they maybe learn a lot about a topic and they begin to perceive themselves as an, as an expert. And then yep. they dive into a new topic and they're like, holy shit. I know nothing about this. I've got so much more to learn. And exactly. the fact that it's a continuous evolution, we are never done. I was jokingly talking to someone once about how I was going to call my children work in progress or a child work in progress, you know, whip or Kanban, because we are a continuous work in progress. We are never the finished article, just like, you know, an agile transformation. A transformation suggests like a start and end date. You'll emerge from your Agile right. cocoon, a beautiful agile butterfly, and be done. But that's not the case. We're continuously learning. We're continuously evolving. We're continuously adapting. And that's often why I say the key to agility is continuous improvement. And the Absolutely. key to continuous improvement is retrospection. So the pausing and reflecting on how things are going. So, yeah. Well, there's a choice there, right? So not everyone looks at the world that way. So I think there's a, you know, I, I have clients who have Gantt charts with, you know, transformation end dates. And, and I always sort of, I have to control my reaction to that and my, and the language and the discussion around that. But, but that doesn't mean that's one way of looking at the world. I think it's as healthier or more aligned with the reality 
or more aligned with like you and I were talking about building our brand or evolving ourselves is to look at it as a continuous journey, right? Rather than this static thing. But there's still a lot of people who look at things statically. Like I've achieved a scrum master cert. Now I am a scrum master. I'm a fully formed, fully functioning <laughs> scrum master. <laughs> and, the, and you are, you are on that journey. You're just maybe not fully formed at that point. Yeah, you're often, you're at the beginning of a journey, not anywhere near the end, especially for yeah. a lot of these certifications out there, which are geared towards a two to four day sort of time frame, perhaps with an exam in there. And then you are given your shiny badge and you are labeled a, a master. And I know, I know a lot of people, you know, believe that that doesn't make you a master, but it can set the wrong expectation. Let, let's say you've got a, a group of newly fledged scrum masters. They go out to their companies. They are the voice of agile for those companies. And they are not quite competent in that yet. They've just absorbed a few days worth of knowledge. That doesn't mean right. they're capable of doing that. So I, and, and I know you're a fan of this too. I, I joined with uh, Jeff Watts and his mission to bring more meaning to certifications, to right. focus more on longitudinal learning over time. And that's where the Agile Master Institute comes in, this several month pathway and your journey towards mastery. And, and I'm not saying at the end that you, know, you are a master after several months. I'm saying you're closer to, the, closer to, where, closer to exactly. that than you would have been. And the important thing is that we're supporting you in your context. You're getting the feedback loop with me where you get to say, hey, I've, I've learned something new. I've gone out, I've tried it. Didn't go quite well. How could I do it better? But also I can learn from how others have done it. And the idea by the end of that is you've developed more confidence. You know, you, you've got the, the competence to be able to execute some of these things that you've learned. And therefore, that should build wider capability. Absolutely. I mean, I, one of the things I'm fond about in that model, I attended ORSC um, coaching training a few years ago. Uh, actually, it was live right before COVID. And then I did the certification path virtually, you know, during the early parts of COVID. And it was, uh, I was lucky in that we had met face to face in the classes. And so we were building rapport and then the virtual, so the virtualness, there were pe people I had met face to face, but it was a learning cohort and each, and there were instructors or master coaches who were guiding it, but really the learning, the richest learning was from peers and in peer to peer practice. And it just sold me. I had actually never participated in that kind of learning. You know, I'm a dinosaur. So my learning was always death by PowerPoint historically, like go to a class for five days and get some letters, uh, and, and really measure it by the, you know, could you be patient for five days of talking? Yes, I survived. And that was learning and it really wasn't. It, and then my experience looking for me, I had a lot of experience and I was really learning experientially. But putting that, those two together was like the secret sauce for me. And to me, I try to simulate that no matter what classes I'm running or et cetera, that to me is what I'm trying to do is to create the learning environment or a learning ecosystem. And I want, I want a class to stick later on. Like my hope is always not just the class, but what can we do to have ongoing collaboration and ongoing learning? Because that's, that's such a, I had such a rich experience with that. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about that particular model there, the, the peer learning, is that although I'm the guide, the trainer, the person that's, that's kind of creating that environment, every member 
there has experiences that I've never had in industries that probably I've never faced with people that I've never been involved with and from different cultural backgrounds as well. So they have a wealth of knowledge that I have never had access to that they will, that will teach me as much as them, but also each other. And as you say, it fosters community as well. So very recently, one of my cohorts, a member, Amen from Nigeria, she shared that she just landed a new job and she just shared the story of, of how this person in the cohort helped her with this and this person had helped her with that and that she found so much value in the cohort experience. And I said, that is a perfect story. Thank you for sharing that for why this approach works. They have developed relationships with one another. They've gone beyond just the the time that we have architected together for one-to-one sessions and smaller group coaching sessions. They're learning from one another. They now have fostered relationships that will go beyond the cohort itself. And that was beautiful. Absolutely. Another advantage, Chris, and I find this humorous is Clearly, I'm slightly older than you. My beard is is not artificially white. Never. So, so, yeah. So, so my examples in classes, like the, I use movies a lot, or I use uh, musical groups and things like that. So, the other day I was talking about Bob Dylan or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Well, in today's generations, those are not potentially not commonly <laughs> understood musical groups. So, what can happen is is someone. I can share something, but someone could translate it in the cohort to a different demographic for me, right? I find that's happening like in Zoom chats and things like that. So very often if I'm observing chat, like Bob said this, but someone is like, what the heck was he talking about? And then someone does an auto translation, but like, you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn from Gone with the Wind to a modern day translation. And, and it resonates and, and it's things like that, that as a teacher or as a, you know, sort of a guide, you don't even know it's not, it's not, it's, it's translating so that your thoughts are landing with everyone in the cohort. Right. And it just emerges. It just naturally happens. Another funny thing I want, I'm curious as if this happens to you. One of the comments I get from every workshop I run with this cohort thinking in mind is Bob, you should have shut up more. We, so we should have had more group-based discussion and less Bob Galen. Do you get that as, and I, I take that as a compliment. I'm like, yes, I, that works for me because I can have a bourbon or a scotch and just let the group go do that. Do you ever hear that kind of commentary? I don't get that as much, if I'm honest. Uh, I do have requests for me to kick off a session. Yeah, we might be doing an exercise on you know the power of setting goals or how to disrupt yep. the status quo. And I have had requests for people to observe their groups virtually and then provide feedback on how they interacted with one another in the group. It's like, okay, that's okay. cool. That's something I could do in the future. It's not part of the the plan for today, but yeah, we can yep. we can do that. And I think this is why I love the, the particular approach with the Agile Master Institute. We have these monthly sessions where the audience, the learners, they choose the agenda. So it's not a fixed syllabus. And what that yep. means is you're not going to have a situation where a learner picks up some new knowledge that they can't then apply in their context because they're not going to use it for several months. And therefore, when they do come around to using it, if ever, they've got to learn it all over again. Whereas because the audience, the learners, they choose the topics and that might mean, hey, 
how do we nav- navigate conflict? We had this really tough issue in a retrospective the other day. Yep. Or how can I foster psychological safety? So they choose the agenda and I prepare the materials and then we go and do some, we, and it's all built around the, the four C's, the, from the training yep. from the back of the room. I found that very much is, is key to how I facilitate any training or, or presentation yep. or even talk on stage because I want to involve people in the experience. I don't want it to be a, yep. a passive one-way thing. So yeah. Works, I found, works. Absolutely. Right, let's let's pivot ever so slightly. You kindly joined the Virtual Agile Meetup not too long ago and you were talking about showing your value as an Agile coach. Yep. And I'm a firm believer that people need to be better at this. And I don't think we help them from the beginning. We don't teach this in you know in the trainings, we do. We often teach people how to perform in a certain role and maybe how to apply a certain framework or methodology. But we don't then say, well, once you've got all that, here's how you tell the story. You articulate the narrative, the value you've brought that company, that team, in a way that makes those who buy you, you know, who are ultimately funding yep. you, understand that this person needs to stay around. This is what they're doing and why we need to keep them. And I do think that is contributing to some of the, the challenges we're seeing on the market at the moment with people being out of work and, and companies letting whole tranches of agile coaches go so how do you believe sorry how do you believe you should show value as an agile coach i think i want to take a step back from that and so joel bancroft connors is a friend a colleague of mine and i'm writing a blog post that's a reaction to something he wrote but i want to be careful that i don't aggravate him in any way because so I need to have him review it, but I'm really rebutting something he said and pretty strongly actually, or it's a misconception and a lot of, so how do you show value? Is it data? So is it data-based valuation or arithmetic valuation or is it something else? So, and so Joel was making the case that value is as scrum masters or coaches or whatever, Understand what your salary is. So calculate your salary. Calculate your your what whatever the overhead figures are, whether you're an internal or an external. And then the question is, you need to offset that by demonstrable arithmetics of, of like product valuation, et cetera. And I think a lot of coaches think that way. They think that leaders and stakeholders and sponsors uh, are thinking in terms of spreadsheets and are making these precise decisions. And, and in my experience, and it's not exhaustive experience, Chris, but I've been in these rooms with C-level teams and senior leaders who are making value-based decisions, like layoff decisions, who to keep and who not to keep. And they do not open spreadsheets. They do not, they do not look at the analytics. They are, doing, they are using gut feeling. They are using perception-based data. They're, they're talking in terms of Bob Galen. He's, he's old. Look at him. He, we need to get rid of Bob Galen because, uh, I'm just kidding, but he's not, I don't like Bob. He's always pushing back in meetings. Bob is a contrarian, right? So it's, it's not value. It's perception-based stuff. So I think, I think now bringing that forward. So how do you show your value? I think a common mistake is 
this analytical view versus a gut feeling, I'll call it a gut feeling view or perception-based view. So spreadsheets don't matter. The amount of, oh, look at what I, look at what our team has delivered to the client. Look to the customer. Look how much revenue we're generating. Yes, that's relevant, but I think that's 20% of the value equation. Let's just use Pareto. I think 20% of the value is, is the analytics and 80% is the perception-based data. And this is where storytelling can become, like you were alluding to, can become so freaking powerful. Relationship building, relationship building, storytelling, connecting to everyone's why or what matters to individual stakeholders, doing, you know, powerfully connecting to them. I think that's the missing. I mean, both you have to walk both sides of the equation. One of the reasons I think folks like the analytics, it's, it's easier for them to communicate. Like for introverts, that's easy. You just shove a spreadsheet. You just send a spreadsheet to everyone. So it's an, it's an easier thing to get your head wrapped around. Storytelling, managing perceptions is much, much softer, much squishier, much harder to, to get right. It's much more contextual, right? And it's, it's a longer term experiential thing. There's tools and tactics around it, uh, but it's much, I think it's much harder and it takes longer to sort of grapple, but it's much more effective. So I think we've missed it on both sides, but I think there's this 80% chunk that no one's talking about, or very few people are talking about from the valuation point of view. At reactions to that, because I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how you will react. How I react to that? Well, it's an interesting lens to look through, and I hadn't considered it. I do agree that a lot of people, they do start with this monetary results, data, focus, and yeah, I mean, people don't buy Agile, right? They buy the results that, that it brings about. They buy the, yeah, the consequences, the outcomes. And it can be easier to say, right, well, this person has delivered X and therefore they've contributed towards the, the OKR, the bigger goal, the bigger picture. Great, let's keep that person. I also agree that perception is a hugely important thing. And the challenge, I think, is that a lot of people don't tell their story. Yeah. They're great at what they do. They don't understand how to market themselves. They don't understand how to tell the story in a way that resonates with others. And there's, there's examples of this I see all the time. Just look at LinkedIn as a medium. What will happen yep. on LinkedIn is someone will say, hey, got this new blog post, folks. Please click through and read it. And at this point, you have not even convinced the person to click through. You, you, you've added extra steps for them to learn something. And you're taking them away from where they currently already are, already are. So as a user experience thing, it's not useful. What you should try and focus there is the, the time to value. Add value right away. Show someone something that they can use immediately. And then you say, well, if you want to read more, now you can click through. And then you start to yep. you know, develop that sort of that trust where they know if you post something, that's going to be something that's going to be useful for me. I don't think people tell the story about themselves. They're, they're, they're either afraid to tell the story or shout and toot their own horn a little bit. And that has a consequence, not only externally, but internally. So if you're doing all these great results, but you know, you're delivering all these great results, you're, you're helping these team in wonderful ways, but no one hears about it, it becomes an easier thing. You get the perception that you're, you're more disposable than someone else. Absolutely. Whereas if you take the time to craft your narrative and share your story, then you are going to have the perception that you're more valuable. Well, it's, it's sharing the story, but there's also this sort of validation or confirmation loop. So making sure that someone heard your story 
and, and again, not in the same session, but to the point of it's a continuous loop to me. It's tell your story, then talk to stakeholders and said, what did you hear? What was compelling to you? What was missing? What was missing from your point of view? And then continue, ah, also to ask them, have you, know, have you shared that story? Because I think what you want is those stories to become shareable. It's not just a one, afraid. I, I want someone who heard my story to actually, I think an effective story is one, one of my metrics for effective storytelling from a leadership point of view is you, you're done telling your story when other people are telling your story for you, meaning it's become organic, it's, it's grown. Now move on to another story. Now that may take, so to get to that state, it may take you one time to tell your story, or it may take you a hundred times to tell your story. But, but that's, that's sort of that point of, you know, validating feedback. Is it getting received? Is our folks looking at it as impactful? It's like, wow, that, that, you know, is it an incredibly positive thing? So it's the storytelling, but also that, that loop, that confirmation or validation loop, that adjustment loop. And you've highlighted a really important point, right? You can write what in your mind is the perfect story, but that's just words. And you don't know how those words have been received, whether it's been received in the way you intended it to be sent. And the onus, you know, the responsibility is on you, the communicator, to ensure that what you were trying to convey has been understood in the way that you intended it. And if you don't do that, then yeah, there's going to be misinterpretations. Maybe the story doesn't come across as well. Maybe it hasn't been understood. So there is yep. that additional step to say, you know, validate, has my message been received? Has my story been understood? And then also, as you say, has it been amplified? Is it easily shareable? This is, a, this is another issue uh, that I, I see a lot of on LinkedIn. People share a great bit of content, but it's, it's not easily shareable. You know, there's no call to action to share it. I, I've got a great story and I, I love sharing this one. I was once at a conference and at the speaker's dinner. They, they often put on a dinner for, for, for speakers. And I sat there t talking to someone I'd never met. And we were, we were sharing stories about, hey, what are you speaking about? What am I speaking about? And I said, I was speaking about retrospectives. And then the guy, he said, oh, hey, have you heard of that virtual agile coach guy? And I, I kind of smiled and was like, no, no, tell me more. Who is, who is this person? And then I, I let him talk for a little bit. And then I said, I'm just going just gonna to pause you there. And I got my phone out and I opened my, web, my own website and I, I pointed at my face and was like, do you mean him? And he was like, yeah. So what had happened is my own story had been spread and spread to the point where someone recognized the brand I'd created before they yes. recognized me in person. And it just created a great like, example, right? And, and now, now it's a bit different. Now when I go somewhere, often it's, oh, you can see the beard. That's Chris. I already know who yep. Chris is. And I have, you know, uh, Jim Highsmith, the Agile Manifesto, that come up to me and saying hi before I've even seen him. And, and John Kern doing the same. And I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to create a face that people recognize, which means I can't shave the beard now, Bob. It's stuck. Can't go anywhere. <laughs> unless, unless I really don't want to, be, you know, want to be left alone, then I'll just shave it off and then no one will have any idea. But that's, that's the power of storytelling. If you create a story and a narrative that's powerful enough that people share it, yep. there we go. Perception. Yep. Absolutely. I want to come back to something and I want to, and, and I want to take a step out on the wild side. I want to go to Capital One. So one of the famous or infamous events in our community was Capital One laying off 1,100 or 1,200 folks with Agile in their name, Agile coaches and change agents and things like that. And I want to, I want to come back to the 80-20 rule. I, 
and I wasn't in the room. I have actually had the the privilege of talking to a few folks who were senior leaders in their agile organization who were let go. But I'm just going to say my experience tells me that no spreadsheets were surfaced in that room in making that decision. No analytics. I'm sure they had a target. I'm sure they had a monetary target. Okay, I get that. But there was no value-based calculations discussions in that room with those that senior executive team. What they were talking about is the perception of value that would have been gained by storytelling or lack thereof, right? Positive versus negative, right? What What is the organization emanating? Are they sensing? What are they sensing from the Agile organization? And I, I, I think... I think it was all perception-based data that made those decisions and then rounding it up. Oh, if we do this, well, what are they really doing? What is it? What are the agile folks doing? Right. What are they? And, and if no one knows what it is, if there's no stories coming out, if there's superficial stories, it's like, oh, well, they're, they're, that's a great target. We know what the developers do. We know what the DevOps team does. We don't necessarily know what the coaches do. What is, we know what they do, but, but are they leaping tall buildings in a single bound? How are they fundamentally changing how we do business and how we and what our strategies are? Do they support our strategies going forward? And what I'm saying is it's not the data. I'm just doubling down. It's the story stuff that Chris and I are talking about that's incredibly important. And it can't just be a boring story. It has to be something compelling. It has to connect, right? It has to be this thing that, that goes viral in the organization. It takes time to do that, but you got to work hard at that. So on that note then, what would you say is the one thing that someone could do to craft a compelling story and articulate their own value? What is the one thing? I think, I think there's a, sh so the, the one thing is not the storytelling is the one thing that's trying. So I've, I've done this. You, you and I know this. You, I've, I've presented with you, Chris, about value. How do agilists talk about their value? i I've talked to smaller groups. When I was vetting that, that talk, I talked to smaller groups. And you would have thought that I was the devil incarnate when I was talking about blowing your own horn. Right? I, I mean, to a person, and these were experienced coaches, and they had healthy egos. So they understood about you know, promoting themselves. But in the way that I was talking about communicating value, storytelling, taking credit, and how do you take credit for it? How do you personally take credit and not just give all the credit away? Or how do you not, ass don't assume that someone else is telling your story for you. How do you take, take ownership of your story? And, and folks are like, who are you? You know, we're, we're going to un, unlike Bob Galen, we're going to un, unconnect to Bob Galen because you suck. Yeah. What do you do? What happened to you? And so I think there's this visceral thing where, you know, agilists are really uncomfortable. Most agilists are really uncomfortable. Then there's probably a small group who are just jerks. <laughs> there's the, there's, a, there's probably a layer of people who are jerks who are incredibly comfortable with it, but they're ineffective anyway. So I think that the primary advice in a wordy way would be get comfortable, get comfortable with your discomfort and, and do it, lean into it because it's not natural for so many. It's uncomfortable. It, it, it makes people feel slimy. I think, <laughs> and, and, and get, get comfortable with sliminess. 
and don't become totally slimy, but really lean into it and then, and then start making it part of your practice. I, I, I was talking to, at a conference to a lot of people at Capital One. There was an overriding assumption there that people were speaking for me and no one was telling. So, so literally the assumption was the hierarchy was telling stories and the individual coaches were not like they're doing it for me. So I, all I need to do is just keep my head down and do my job and magic will happen. Think about that. What that said is that one or two people at the top were responsible for all the storytelling when they had 11 or 1200 voices, they could have been active. Think about the power of 1200 active voices as opposed to three. So, so, so empower yourselves. It's the same parallel when you think of joining a community. If you join a community and you just see the same people speaking over and over, it doesn't feel like a community. It just feels like a few people's mouthpiece. So yeah, I think the, the key thing for me is always just, just, just start, just get started, yeah. practice, learn from it, experiment. It won't be perfect as you begin. It never is. You've got to fail a bunch of times as you do so. And one of my favorite quotes around this sort of thing, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems and you know, build the habit around it. So craft a little yep. bit of your story every day, get better at doing so, learn from how it works and improve upon it. And then from there, it will grow. It, a brand isn't built overnight. You know? It happens slowly, but surely, with a lot of mistakes first. And I think a lot of people, they, they do the thing where they go, right, I'm going to write my first bit of content. And then they get no engagement compared to what they're seeing online. And yep. they're like, well, I'm going to give up now. It doesn't work. It does. It just takes time. And then it snowballs. What you're seeing from the successful creators on, on any platform you're not seeing the, the you know, overnight success. You're seeing years or, or lots of hours and hours and hours of dedication going into writing things. If I was to look on LinkedIn and find the data as to how many posts I've written in the past few years, it's going to be a ton, Bob. It's going to be too many, more than you will think. And not all of them are successful. Right. Quite simply. Right. The other thing I would say with storytelling, and, and, and again, do it. So I'm, I'm, leaning into what Chris said, but like a subtitle would be, be yourself, find yourself, find your voice. So don't try to be Chris or Bob, be you and you find your, you can't, so be part, you can't be me. It's yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be Chris. So, so find it, but find that voice, that genuine voice, because I think that genuine vo leaders or anyone who's listening to your stories can tell if it's a BS story. So be real, be genuine, be you is what I'm saying. Be, be, just be yourself and then, and then refine that, your, refine your strategy and your technique. Not only is that the best way to be authentic, it is also the easiest way to create content because if you are being yourself and it's natural and you're, you're talking about something you're passionate about, it's much easier to show up on those days when you are not feeling it and you don't want to do it. If you're writing about a topic that's hard and difficult and it's not something you're interested in, there's going to be barriers, there's going to be resistance to that, then it, then it stops you being consistently doing it. And obviously consistency is key to, to you know, sharing a, a good narrative. So find, find your voice, find what you're passionate about, find what's easy for you to talk about, and then just do it. Just start, learn, iterate from there, go. Yep. There's a, there's a, a blog post I wrote recently and it was, from, it was adapted from a poem or an essay I read online and it, it, it just matched my, my ADHD thinking. It was basically just saying, Hey, 
Listening to a podcast isn't doing the thing. Having a meeting about doing the thing isn't doing the thing. Watching a video about doing the thing isn't doing the thing, you know? Basically, yeah, you can you can do all the things to avoid doing the thing, but the only thing that's going to do the thing is doing the damn thing. So just start. Just start. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. Bob, uh, we are running short of time. Now, what I want to ask is you have very soon, in the next few months, the 2023 edition of the Badass Agile Coaching Day. Tell me and the listeners more about that. So... I, the first Badass Agile Coaching Day was last year in December. And what and what inspired it? One was the book and badassery. But two was just the state of the world. There's a group in Nigeria that trains young women in technology that I'm that I'm enamored with. And then Ukraine was happening. So I wanted to I, I wanted to do an event to give back to the community, but I also wanted all of the proceeds to go to causes that I care about. And so we did that. About 250 people showed up. We did it in three time zones, if you will, last year, in one day, but it was it was early in the morning for Europe and middle of the day for US and late at night for me, for for Asia, Asia Pacific. And it and it the feedback was wonderful. And and I I based on that I want to do it again this year. And this year's a little bit different. Same format, same causes. It's the same title. But we're having each of those regions on different days. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it's a little bit more palatable. So people, if you want to hang out, you can, different time zones, you can hang out. It's really about inviting speakers, giving a stage to people who may not normally get a stage to talk. So I, we have an eye to that. We have an eye to causes. And we have an eye towards badassery. Right now, we have more registrations than we had last year. And it's still early. And I'm just looking forward to three days of fun and learning. But what really excites me is just the opportunity to give back. And I, I like supporting things, certain things that just move my heart. And that's what excites me the most. Beautiful. I'm, I'm right with you there. I would rather build others up and support them than break them down. I do see a lot of people out there whose stance seems to be, hey, this sucks. But hey, buy my thing. My thing's better. And I love the idea of just building others up, supporting their work, amplifying their voices. It has been extraordinarily badass having you on the show with us today, Bob. Can I, can I say two things, Chris? You may, you may. I'll, ma I'll make them fast. I know it's not my forte. So, so one, I'd like to come back sometime. So at the risk of, <laughs> at the risk of taking a risk, I enjoy, I enjoyed the heck out of this. I enjoy you. And I'd love to, and I think there's other things we could explore. So one, please consider inviting me back. Two, lately you've shared some vulnerable stuff on LinkedIn about yourself, right? And some of you know, things, challenges you have, ADHD and things like that. And I just want to take tip of the hat. You're one of those folks. It's not just you're doing brand building, but you're genuine and you're yourself. And when I read those things, I was just, my heart was just warmed up. I'm like, that's someone who's, who's, who's walking their talk and being a role model for other folks and, and paving a way for that. So without sounding too schmaltzy, I wanted to just give you a tip, a tip of the, the imaginary hat for, for just who you are and for, and for being a great role model. Well, firstly, thank you. That's really, really great to hear. Uh, point one, 
let's let's find out what the audience wants, right? Let's let's be customer centric. So if listeners, if you want to hear me and Bob chat again about other topics, then then let me know. I don't tend to have repeat guests, but yeah, a new experiment's always always worthwhile. And on the second point, yeah, I I have ADHD, I have depression, and that for me manifests as emotional numbness, and I'm very open about that because. I believe by admitting that vulnerability myself, I, I hope to help others feel more comfortable doing so. Right, so I've obviously got a, a very public persona and it hasn't for anyone listening. Neither of those things have stopped me being successful. In fact, if you, if you were to look at any of the posts I've shared about those particular topics, there was just overwhelming support from everyone saying, thank you for being you. Thank you for being honest. This is exactly the sort of thing we need to be seeing. People have these struggles and it's okay. And it's not, it's not a bad thing to admit to that. You know, we all suffer in certain ways and it's fine and, and we, we support you. So if anyone's listening and, and is struggling with any of those things, I'm always there if you need to have a chat. Feel free to send me a message. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your work, Bob? Real quick, Agile-Moose. Metacast, Meta-Cast is a podcast that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. I, I do it with a friend of mine, Josh Anderson. And we're reframing and pivoting a little bit. So give us feedback. And then Agile-Moose is a good place to find me. Excellent. To catch the latest episodes with myself and people like Bob, do the thing, folks. Subscribe or follow. And why not share this episode with someone else who might find it valuable? We're always looking for new guests to join us on the show. So if you'd like to be involved, just slide into my DMs. You know you want to. And thanks for being with us today, Bob. Don't stop believing, folks. Take care, Chris. Cheers. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.